you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho and Sam Collier. And today is a very special day because it is both the birthday of Sarah Cho. A happy birthday, Sarah. Thank you. And also the birthday of Samuel Beckett. Wow. Who came first? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That will be forever a mystery, I think. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And so then also... I mean, that's the most important thing. But what this episode is about today is uh, we're talking about Cost of Living, the play by Martina Mayoke, um, which won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. And yeah, well, so should we give them a summary of the play? Yes. People haven't read it. Although I don't know why they wouldn't, because um, what else are you doing out there, people? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Do you want to read it? Oh, yeah, I can read it. So, a cost of living definitely challenges the typical perceptions of those living with disabilities and delves deep into the ways class, race, nationality, and wealth can create gulfs between people, even as they long for the ability to connect. Eddie, an unemployed truck driver, and his estranged ex-wife, Ani, finds themselves unexpectedly reunited after a terrible accident leaves her quadriplegic. John, a brilliant PhD student with cerebral palsy, hires Jess, a first-generation recent graduate who has fallen on desperate times as his new aide. Yeah. What so, did we notice? Um, would you want me to go first? <laughs> yeah. <go laughs> um, I, I, I noticed that there was, this was a very intimate play and I don't know what I was expecting. I I didn't know that much about the play, but I guess I knew there were four characters and, um, and because it had so much acclaim, I don't know why. I think I was expecting like in some way a bigger play or with bigger scenes, but I think all the scenes were two character scenes and, um, there, there was just there were a lot of quiet moments and a lot of intimacy, and that really, uh, that really lingered with me after I read it. Mm. Yeah, um, this was pretty depressing. It was very depressing. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I going in I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Sam Collier. <laughs> I know I did pick it. I picked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I think what resonated with well, not resonated, but the characters were just so um, like they're so deep. <laughs> like Jess, mm-hmm. I I think of Jess. Like her character was incredibly. Um, like I, I, she was so sympathetic, and I think that scene with her and John together, that whole like, sh- this like we know as you're reading, you're like, oh, oh my gosh, she liked yeah. him, and yeah. like, I mean, so much was being said between the lines, you know, and and as the text, like reading it, it is the way it moved, and just the way it, um. I think, yeah, I think when you're right, intimacy is the right word for this because 
like I felt like I was in that room with them, the bathtub, or like I'm there. I know, like I know. Like, it's yeah. like it's like it's like when you're it's like reading a you know when you're watching a movie or something. It's like all the close ups and like it's like whoa, we're like in their face, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I really sad. It's a very sad play. It was but, so transporting. I mean, I maybe it's because I've been in isolation for like yeah. I don't know how many weeks now, but. I really, I had this moment after I was done reading the play where I just sat and thought about how I had spent a couple hours just looking at marks on a page and, Mm. and yet was really able to visualize these characters and these scenes so clearly and just how, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too woo woo here, but just how amazing that is that like, that, that it could conjure up. I felt like I saw the play. Um, and all I was reading was dialogue and that's amazing yeah you know yeah yeah and I and I think it's because she does really as you said um she really evokes these characters for us the characters are so clearly drawn and I felt like I was in the room with them I was like oh I'm invading some privacy here mm-hmm. <laughs> um so just to like frame this, but I was, so I was reading the play on my Kindle. I hate reading plays on Kindle. It's just, it's just, I hate it because I don't even know if the page or the, the sizing is correct. Um, mm-hmm. But did it on, on your plate, is there a lot of space? Yeah. There's a lot, of, there a lot space. of space. Yeah. yeah. And part of that is, I think, there's um there's a lot of space in John's lines to capture mm. the rhythm of his speech. Um yeah. So that's part of it. Yeah, I want to I'm glad you mentioned that cuz I really want to God, Kindle. <laughs> I really <laughs> want to go uh from the beginning um the author's note about the way he should speak mm-hmm. oh a note on john's language yeah john has a speech pattern that manifests in itself in a kind of halted way of speaking this is due to the vocal tension of a cerebral palsy the breaks and spacing in his lines are meant to simulate that halting rather than to indicate any sort of poetic uh recitation mm-hmm. yeah and i thought that was interesting because of the spacing and then so taking that note it's how she formats it you know on the page because were you I mean when you're reading his lines did you feel like you were kind of there was a certain pace and rhythm to it yeah I think I did um yeah. I didn't but I didn't consciously probably read them yeah in yeah. that way but it did no. Yeah, it did feel like there there was this kind of halting rhythm to it. Yeah. Like there was some uh it was very purposeful like how it yeah. was written like this is going to be how it's going to be read whether you do it or not or um mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's only four characters in this play. But but there are no scenes with mo- more than two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so I the first think several, also, oh, go yeah. ahead. no, no, no. I was just going to say the first several scenes is just, it's mainly um, 
or the in the two person in the beginning it's eddie he is yeah giving this long monologue right yeah or the pro there's a prologue sorry there's a prologue right. yeah but it is a monologue. For the scene. yeah uh and then the next few scenes is like with jess and john their relationship and then eddie and his ex-wife ani Mm-hmm. They kind of go back and forth between those two uh, pairs until at the end, mm-hmm. which is uh, Jess and Eddie. Yeah, and that was the scene that really where everything clicked into place for me. I think mm-hmm. seeing those two characters have a scene together, which I wasn't. I mean, I guess I was expecting there to be some way in which these two stories connected, but yeah, um, we learned so much more about Jess in that final scene. And and I mean, for me, one of the biggest moments of the play was the revelation that she doesn't have a home, that she sleeps in her car. And and so, and then it made me think back on that, the, you know, the part where she oh. is asking John if she can just stay in his apartment for a few hours while he's out. And he says no. And and that and he's like no you can get get to go home early you know but like what that really means for her is sleeping in her car in the middle of the night um so so scene nine or the epilogue made that previous scene click into place i think in a really satisfying and painful way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and that scene i'm like oh (laughs) for me it sounds like like he doesn't like you <laughs> like right oh, man like it, it was like heartbreaking scene where you're thinking oh she likes him well i mean i'm sure she has some feelings for him but then because when he doesn't reciprocate and you know mm-hmm. i was just like 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 what that that scene that just like it just like tripled or like that there was so much meaning in like what what was happening with in her own life with you know not having her own home um yeah it's yeah so sad which kind of and and all these people just seem so alone i mean i think maybe especially jess seems really really alone and then Mm -hmm. eddie particularly after his wife dies Seems yeah. really, really alone. So maybe, you know, listeners, I think this is a good place to read when you're <laughs> in isolation. <laughs> is it? Or maybe it's not a good place to read when you're in isolation. I don't know. Just be, just it be depends prepared. on whether you want to feel like there are other people out there who are alone. <laughs> okay. With that said about her living in a car and then we finding out the end, right? Do we... So does she have a job? Like what... Like I'm kind of wondering. Yeah, because she works in bars Bars. overnight, and then she sleeps in her car during the day because it's safer. Yeah, but she like works all the time. Yeah, she she works. She goes to take care of John early in the morning, Mm -hmm. and then I guess she sleeps in the afternoon, and then she goes to work at bars in the night time. What else did you notice in this play? Okay, well, I have to say one of my favorite moments is the mm-hmm. part where Ani, um, who's recently paralyzed, 
um, is she's so mad at Eddie and she's trying to say like, you can't just come in here and clear your conscience by taking care of me. Um, and, but as she's talking, she says, and boom, you know, and boom, your conscience is cleared, but she can't clap cause she's paralyzed. And so there's this whole scene, this whole like, uh, exchange where she says, boom. And she's like, when I say boom, you have to clap for me. <laughs> um, and I didn't quite realize what was happening at first. I was really confused, but then once I got it, I went back and reread it and it's just such yeah. a great moment of theatricality, uh, where, they like the two of them forget their argument for a moment while they're coordinating his clapping with her saying boom. <laughs> um, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite moment was with um with Eddie and Ani when she's in the bathroom and mm. and she's like he's like you really can't feel anything down there and he's just but she needs his help. And like, right, right. like when you can't talk about intimacy I was just like yeah my mind just went there because that scene uh yeah spoiler alert folks um is like there that I don't know why but there was so much um tension in that mm-hmm. where she's just like you know right she's she's unable to move she's she needs his help and to just to like clean the most intimate part of a woman's body <laughs> and and like he's just kind of like okay you know like he puts his hand and I don't know I was just like oh and then the interaction that's going between those two the that yeah that yeah I just like man there I think that moment I don't know why resonate with me that these are like the most loneliest people yeah well and they've just been they're divorced I mean they're excellent yeah. it's just so there's so many layers of like uh, yeah mm-hmm. okay but then okay another spoiler I mean I guess we've already spoiled a lot of things but then when she when he leaves the bathroom and she falls down into the water I mean that was oh, terrifying that was so that terrifying was so scary yes and then she's like, "You're like, you can't leave me." She's like, "Right." I mean, it really captures He's not like a professional nurse, <laughs> he right? Know what right. he's doing. Yeah, and, yeah. And literally, he has her life in his hands, um, and just how terrifying that is for her. Oh, yeah, folks. This is a. This one's a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, what questions do you have about it? <laughs> You know, the only thing I was like unsure how to feel that was John. Like, like I was like, I in the beginning kind of sets up to be a very, you know, sympathetic situation between the two, Jess and John. Mm-hmm. But by the end, I just, I mean, I was like, I just like was rooting for Jess by the end in a way that. That I was just like I by then I was like I just I mean I think that speaks a lot in volume of of being able to write for the an actor who's I mean she requested they have you know our um, disabled actors right mm-hmm. yeah in the beginning and so I was like man I mean in terms of power play like he has way more power than over her yeah considering the situation 
But yeah, I was just like, oh man, I just don't know how I feel about him after like putting Jess and we're learning it by the end, you know, where she's living and well, and he's so judgmental of her right from the beginning. Yeah. And I think part of that, maybe at least I was willing to forgive a lot of that because mm-hmm. he seems to be in, I mean, he is in such a vulnerable position, right? I right. mean, like he can't right. move um, easily. He, can't, he has trouble, um, you know, with the most basic things. Um, and he's inviting this stranger to come into his home and take care of him in a really intimate way and so yeah you know I mean I think I I was I think I was willing to forgive a lot of his kind of brusque abrasive manner at Mm -hmm. first because I just assumed he was on the defensive Mm. um, and protecting himself but then but then yeah I mean by the end of the play I was so much more firmly on Jess's side. And I, yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about this play is the way she is upending our ideas of um, who has power and the different layers of power. And then you could tell that he's obviously educated, uh, wealthy. Yeah. Has a lot of money for sure. Um, so, that, and yeah, he's that used really- to moving in wealthy circles and powerful mm-hmm. circles. Mm-hmm. You, despite his disability, like right. And then so, and Jess, who is a first generation uh, graduate, just trying to make ends meet. <laughs> yeah um I wonder I kind of want this maybe as a question like I wonder when he like for well I wonder what that first interaction like first meeting when he first saw her like what was his first thought of like seeing her like mm. like I think do I want to help her like or I need help I mean I could mm. use her yeah I wonder how he like how he how she found the job mm-hmm. one thing that I was wondering that was really unclear to me for most of the play was how long Ani and Eddie had been divorced did it say somewhere mm-hmm. did I miss that because it because in the first scene between I them so it's I couldn't I couldn't tell I mean I'm pretty sure they got separated before her accident but that wasn't clear to me yeah. at first. Yeah, that you're right. Because I kind of remember, I had to go back to the monologue to see if there was anything in the monologue that mentions anything about the accent or Ani. But mm-hmm. I don't think it was, he talks about. No, I don't think he does. I think it's a, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a surprise in the next scene. And then, um. I I wasn't sure in the first scene I wasn't sure if she had been paralyzed for years and years or mm-hmm. yeah it might not it might have been pretty recent only because the way he, he still seems uneasy that's true about it that that he's that's still true. trying to get used to it and he's not sure how to help her yeah um, 
So it could be something that happened recently. Yeah, eventually, I think I came to the decision that they got separated and she was sad. You know, like she was, Mm -hmm. I don't know who initiated the separation, but I don't know if it's because he was seeing this other woman or that came later. Like that's still kind of fuzzy in my mind, but yeah, that she went for a road trip after they separated because he says, is that where you were going when they're talking about Maine? Um, and then she was in a car accident mm. and was paralyzed. Mm. So I have the sense that the accident came pretty soon after their separation, but I really didn't get that until like the last scene of the play or the second to last. I have a question. Okay. So we're n- talking about writing and the plays that we're reading. So for you, what did you think was um, effective about the way she wrote the play, the playwright? Mm. Um, and maybe you kind of answered it. Hmm. I think there, I feel like there are a couple of things I could mm-hmm. talk about and they won't become clear in my mind until I start talking. I think one thing that was that was very effective was how Eddie and Ani, you know, they're they're divorced and they hate each other's guts, but also they still kind of love each other, and that and and they know each other really, really, really well, and they have the same sense of humor, and you can see in these scenes between them why their relationship worked so well, mm. um, and and I think you know, without being too direct or obvious about it, um, she captures that kind of, um, I don't know, it's it's a combination of comfort with each other and also uneasiness with each other that that go hand in hand in divorced couples, you know, it's yeah. like, um, they can't stand each other. And yet nobody in the world understands them the way that they do. So it was just like in the writing, how Martina kind of had this ability to sort of bring all this like context without. Yeah. Maybe like, that's what it is. Context. That without kind of like over the head of like oh like I'm your husband and we've been divorced <laughs> for several months right I don't know how to deal with you you know but right and in so few lines like we get a sense of who they are um their relationship to each other um and just their history and yeah <clears throat> and what is it that kind of like want out of each other maybe um so yeah, and like that is what I'm trying to figure out is that the writing and because I was and I, I read it pretty fast too. Like I was like, oop, like it was a really pretty quick. Me too. Read. Yeah, I was surprised when it was over. Yeah. But how much like how much there was in so mm-hmm. little. And then mm-hmm. there's and that's a lot to say that the impact that she's a she's able to um kind of bring out in the play mm-hmm. yeah I know this is one of those plays where I really wish I could see earlier drafts I'm really curious about 
where it started? Um, like, did it always have the monologue at the beginning? I'm curious about whether there were any scenes in earlier drafts that she found she was able to pare away. Because I agree, it seems really... It's like a very um, efficient and clean play. There are not a lot of loose ends or like extra stuff in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that your dog? Yes. <laughs> he oh. also loves plays. Yeah. No, I think there's somebody outside. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm working from home. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot to chew here. Uh, <laughs> listeners. Did we get any um, listeners' thoughts about this play? Um, no, we did not. <laughs> you guys all missed your chance. But oh, maybe- man. Well, you should read it. I think you guys would yeah. like it a lot. Even yeah. though we spoiled everything, it's still good to read. I mean. Yeah. And study and just look how how much you can do with few characters and just the simplicity of it all i really want to read more of her work mm. i haven't have you read any of her other plays Mm-mm. like this is the first time i've heard of her and read uh this play she's all yeah. she's also written them ironbound queens and sanctuary city oh and she's won like a million awards wow so. Well, not a million. Wow. A million and one awards. You heard it here first, folks. Martina Mayok won a million awards. No. Um, All right. Well, so so Sarah, what are we going to read next month? Yeah. So uh, this is a recommendation from one of our listeners, Mickey. Uh, He recommended The King of Hell's Palace by Frances Yao Kawik. and next month is uh, Asian American Pacific um, Month, History of Month. You guys, I don't even know, and I'm Asian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think this is like, I'm interested. I read this synopsis, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be a really interesting um, historical play. Cool. So really excited, and then we could delve into it. And yeah, I'm excited. Me yeah. too enjoying these play of the month i have too i, it's, it's I mean like, good job yeah. us this is a good yeah. idea <laughs> I, I think this is your idea it's a good one i you know it really is forcing me to read play because like, mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise i just read everything else but a play sometimes so like i'll mm-hmm. just read um so yeah i'm really glad we're doing this i'm glad we're talking and there's a thing too like i read a play i don't get a chance to talk about it Right. Sometimes I just right. I'll just go in my own mind. I'm like, that was a good play. I liked I learned a lot. <laughs> and then I just walk <laughs> over and I don't really do much about it. Um but like talking to you, Sam, I'm like able to sort of like synthesize a bit and kind of really like and knowing that we're gonna have to talk about it, I have to read it more carefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to think about what I'm gonna say about it. Which Homework. Is <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And yeah. listeners, we want to hear from you. So, yeah, if you read the play, what'd you think? And if you have any play recommendations, reach out to us. We'd love to hear you. 
Well, should we move to Glessons? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go first. So okay. there, <laughs> there are these pandas. There's this couple of giant pandas in the mm-hmm. Hong Kong Zoo that um, have been living together for 13 years and never mated because Mm. pandas, they, their mating season is only like a couple days each year. And um, I mean, zoos everywhere have a really hard time getting pandas to breed to the extent where some scientists actually, or I don't know, panda caretakers actually like show the pandas videos of pandas having sex to try to like uh, show them how to have sex because pandas are just, notorious for like being too lazy or whatever to (laughs) breed and but so but this this panda pair in the hong kong zoo finally made it after 13 years and they think it's because um because the zoo has been closed and so there have been no people like walking around watching the pandas every day they finally had the privacy they needed wow um, to mate so very exciting yeah, I, I I haven't read into it, but as as soon as I see the headline about what it is, and then like I see the two pandas, I'm like okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I see the photo of like two pandas, and then the, what the headline is, and I'm like okay, that, that's enough for me. I'm glad that they love each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, listen, Sarah. Yeah, my listen is I started reading this book, and I'll let you all know when I get done, what I think of it. But um, it's called Originals, How Nonconformists Move the World by Adam Grant. It's a library. So it's a library book uh, because all libraries are closed right now. Like I just have this book basically. (laughs) And you don't have to return it? I don't have to return it. There's no weeks and weeks and weeks until this is over. So I was like, you know what? I've been having this book for, I don't know how many months because I kept renewing it. Um, <laughs> thinking I was going to read it, but now I have the time. I'm reading it, and uh, it's so far it's so interesting. It's about how um, original ideas, where how do they come about, and what makes them so novel and original uh, when they might not have been so original from the begin with. You know, a lot wow. of it is sort of like like he. The uh, what's his name? Adam Grant. He basically breaks it down um, through history by looking at history, like ideas and like like um, and public figures. Why they're why the thing that they did or they invented was so huge at the time, and he kind of tracks back like this is what happened, you know. And like, there's one story about uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr where his speech, I have a dream, he spent, like, he kind of procrastinated. Like, he was a bit of a girl. He procrastinated, but... Like, writing the speech? Yeah, like, he didn't really do it till, like, the night before, a couple days before, but he brought, like, speakers and stuff. Like, basically, it was he was thinking about all these ideas, and he did prepare. He did write it, but by the end, he just threw it out the window and improvised the whole speech. Whoa. But it was like this idea of this incubation, like the time mm-hmm. that you needed, like to let it brew and to let it sit. And and he would talk about these ideas with all the different um, speakers and pastors and like you and then, you know, share these ideas, but just kind of letting it incubate so that 
So then he goes up. It's time to speak. He was only supposed to speak for like five minutes. Like, but someone in the back is like, tell him your dream, Martin. You know, and he just basically, <laughs> they're not, I mean, we're not sure if that was the, the, the reason he started improvising, but the fact that, yeah, he just sort of threw out the speech and that the I have a dream became the huge, like, the thing that everyone remembers, you know, that stuck with everybody from that speech is I have a dream, which is so mm-hmm. iconic. But yeah, I was like, that was, I was like, okay, like, I'm okay with procrastinating. I'm a procrastinator. I like, I'm just gonna not do anything, but I'll let it sit in my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, and I feel like there's so much pressure right now to, mm-hmm. you know, get a lot of things written while we're all yeah quarantining but but I do think there's something to be said for just the time to think and and percolate and let your ideas develop mm-hmm. yeah um, there's another example how um Leonardo da Vinci at Mona Lisa where he kind of worked on it several years like even like dec- like until his the year before he died, he kind of finished it the moment he died. Like, he, he was, was like, spending... Because he wanted to perfect the perception of the play. Like, how playing around, experimenting with the play. Um, and, yeah, I just thought... And then that's, like, the most iconic that Everyone knows when you see that play, you're like, oh, that's the Mona Lisa. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I'm just like... You see, I'm like, oh, I wrote 26 screenplays in a week. I'm like, that is nuts. <laughs> I know, like I'm like when I when I read stuff like that, I'm like you're you're really anxious right now. Mm. <laughs> well, peop- yeah, and people are coping in lots of different ways. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to write. I have so much time, but I'm like doing other ways. I'm doing other writing other than like playwriting. Or- what other writing are you doing? I don't know. Maybe a one-person show, or oh, cool, or, or stand-up comedy, or I've like not written a sketch in so long. I've just been journaling a lot. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for listening to another episode. Yeah, we hope you learned something, and if you did it. Tell us what you would like to learn. Yeah. You can find us. You can like us. You can subscribe. You can reach out to us. Email us. Um, Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure to tell your friends. Yeah. About Beckett's babies. Mm -hmm. And that it's uh, my birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Sam. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. (laughs) Bye. Bye.